Hello. Well, today I'm going to talk to you about designing for accessibility. And accessibility may be the term that some of us use when we're talking about it on the web. But sometimes we also use the term universal design or inclusive design. So I'm a designer and a developer. Um, some people, uh, I think these things are completely intertwined. I think that when we're designing, we're making decisions about a product. And I think developers make a lot of decisions about a product as well. And there's this whole theory that if you do both, you're a unicorn, as in a very rare person. But I think this is absolute rubbish. It's actually more common than people tend to think. And I don't like to be the annoying designer that says that designers should be able to code, but it's OK, because plenty of people have said that already today. So I'm not alone in thinking that way. I mean, particularly if you're working on responsive projects, nowadays it's just too hard to get away with doing static mock-ups. So when I say about designing for accessibility, I'm not just talking about it being for designers. Designing for accessibility is the responsibility of anyone who makes any decision about a product. I think this is part of us being T-shaped as web professionals, this whole idea of we need to have one main body of skill, one specialist area, but we should be very well informed about many different areas of the web. We should understand our platform better as a whole. I quite like a serif in terms of your T-shapes, because I think that whilst you do have that very strong area and you may have shallow interests in other areas and shallow understanding, there's also some where you do tend to have a dip in a little bit further and you're a little bit more interested. Like, I'm very, very interested in accessibility, even though I'm more of a, a, a standard designer front end, not an, an expert in accessibility. So accessible websites, as I already said, are the responsibility of the entire team. It's not just the poor developer who gets all of the blame at the end of a project when, it's when the site isn't as accessible as it should be, because that happens so often, poor, poor developers. So what do I mean when, when I say accessibility? What is accessibility? Accessibility is the degree to which a website is available to as many people as possible. I think it's very important to have empathy when you're designing websites. Empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of other people. And it's what makes us good at creating products for other people because we can understand their problems and try to create solutions that fit their needs. It's much easier for us to create products for people who have the same needs as us. We understand exactly what those people need. We understand what their requirements are. We understand the reasons behind those requirements uh, better than anyone else could because they're the same as us. And so in turn, we tend to create very good things. So that a lot of the successful products that we have at the moment have very much come out of someone scratching their own itch or eating their own dog food. The problem is with creating products to suit our own needs is the tech industry is not diverse. It is very largely white young men. And uh, it, it's made up of people with yeah, very much the same ages, similar abilities, very similar educational backgrounds. Um, very similar financial statuses. Diversity are the characteristics that make us up as individuals. And, and this could be age, ability, socioeconomic class, ethnicity, your personal background, your gender, your education. There are so many different characteristics that make up diversity as a, as a thing. 
And the thing is, all of these characteristics give us unique needs and give us unique outlooks on the world. Different perspectives on what's going on around us and what products provide value to us with those different needs and those different perspectives. And this is why discussing other people's needs and perspectives is good research. And this is why research is so incredibly important to projects and helps us better understand the landscape that we're designing for. This is why everything that Lisa was talking about when she was showing all of the uh, testing the site with users, that's why that kind of thing is important, understanding those people and wha what motivates them, why they may not be able to, why they may use a select box in a slightly different way than we do all the time. And if we're not diverse organization or a diverse team, we're not likely to, di to design a product for a diverse audience. So the more diverse a team is, the greater their capacity is for empathy and the more likely their product is to solve and serve the needs of many people rather than the few that just fit the same mold as them. It's quite difficult because obviously with a small team, how diverse could you possibly be? But we've always got to be striving for more diversity because we want accessible websites. We must have diverse teams. We must have people who understand the range of needs that we have. Anyway, I don't think that you're necessarily daft enough to believe this, but in the same way that designing buildings for a wide audience, de designing accessible buildings is not all about wheelchairs, designing accessible websites is not just about screen readers. And before I get into the meaty bit of this talk, I want to ask a few questions about why we generally don't seem to care that much about accessibility as an industry. And I don't know if it's because it's not a fancy automation task. I, we love to have things that make our lives easier. And let's face it, accessibility and thinking about more people, more needs, more constraints does tend to make our jobs harder. It's not a shiny flat button style or some sort of cool trend that you can apply to your site? Is it because we don't understand who we're trying to help? Is it because we just don't know what to do? Is it because it's too hard and there's too much to think about? I've not got the answers to this at all, but I just think it's not fair if the web isn't accessible. But it's so important by not giving accessibility enough consideration, we're potentially excluding a huge amount of people from using our sites. And the design decisions that we make in the name of accessibility largely benefit everyone. There are a few particular things you might need to do for people with particular needs that may create conflicting experiences. But generally, it has a great effect for everyone. And if empathy isn't a good enough reason for you in order to make your site accessible, there's always the business case. Now, these are quite difficult things to find examples of. Money is quite difficult to talk about in terms of accessibility because when we make changes to the accessibility of a website, we very rare, it's very rarely the only thing we do. If we redesign a site, we don't just focus on the accessibility. We focus on many different things. So it's quite difficult to make comparisons. But I did find some figures. They're, quite, they're a bit old now. but. Uh, improvements in accessibility doubled legal and general's life insurance sales online. Improvements in accessibility increased Tesco's grocery home delivery sales by 30 million pounds in 2005. 
Improvements in accessibility increased Virgin.net sales by 68%. This is because all of these untapped markets, all these people that can't buy life insurance, do their grocery shopping, um, or uh, buy, buy stuff from Virgin, they can't do it anywhere else. So suddenly, when you become the only accessible website in that area, where's everyone going to go? They're going to go to the site they can actually use. So by, by reducing your audience, by not catering for accessibility, you're potentially excluding the income from all of those users, and that's a lot of money. There are four main types of disability that affect our use of the web. First of all, we have visual disability, so that could be blindness, it could be low vision, it could be color blindness, it's a huge variety. Um, there's different levels of hearing, uh, from very slight hearing uh, trouble to full being profoundly deaf. There's motor difficulties. There could be the inability to use a mouse, a slow response time, uh, limited fine motor control, so difficulty moving your hands in particular ways. Um, there's cognitive disabilities. This could be learning difficulties, uh, distractibility, which is something that obviously I, d I don't have it as a particular disability, but something I can identify with. It applies to me wi when I'm trying to, I'm supposed to be doing some work and I keep looking at Twitter and the notifications are distracting me all the time. Uh, the inability to focus on large amounts of information at a time. I mean, whilst these may technically be cognitive disabilities, I think a lot of us would actually identify with some of the needs that these users have. None of these disabilities are completely black and white. Today, you might have glasses. Today, you might just have that helping you be able to look at a screen. Give it a few years, and your eyesight may um, decline more. Give it a few more years, and it might decline even more. And suddenly, you go from thinking, oh, I wear glasses, it's not really a disability, to actually having a disability. One day, you may be able to be using a mouse perfectly fine. It's no problem at all. The next day, this is really common in the industry, I, don't know, I get really bad RSI. And suddenly, I'm struggling to use a mouse because my wrist is hurting so much that I end up having to use voice interaction because that's much easier and saves my wrist when I'm trying to write emails. Even with deafness and blindness, there are so many different levels. So this is the official uh, hearing scale. Uh, that they have of different types of hearing loss. And I mean, it's not really, it's not even a scale with eyesight, it's a wide spectrum. It's often, it's not actually um, to do with the functioning of the eye. Often eyesight difficulties are actually to do with functions inside the brain. The thing is that all of these uh, disabilities equate to basic usability needs. For people with visual difficulties, we just want to make a site easy to read. With hearing difficulties, we just want to make a site easy to hear. With motor difficulties, we want to make it easy to interact. And with cognitive difficulties, we want to make it easy to understand and focus. All of these goals would benefit everyone. Good accessibility is just good usability. So I have a lot of examples here. I have a disclaimer. If you're involved in the creation of any of these websites, I'm very a bit like Val with her don't don't uh, end up like Apple. Uh, you I, I don't mean to be mean, but I found most of these by searching for other people's complaints, websites they found. Some of them I found came across myself. Text. Guess what? It's Apple. They're fantastic. Uh, they're footer. 
if you if you're looking for an Apple re retail store or reseller, you better have really good eyesight because the text in this footer is the equivalent of about 10 pixels high. It's very difficult to read. And this is the Chicago manual manual style. Really great for referring to if you're writing copy and things like that. But hopefully you won't have to navigate the, the site because the text is so tiny, it's a wonder that anyone finds their way to any other pages. Uh, extra thin text as well, since the advent of web fonts, really lovely, beautiful typefaces that make our sites look wonderful. The problem is that when people use very thin text, it can render really badly and, and be very difficult to read. It almost may as well be small text because it's, uh, it just requires that extra bit of looking at it. Um, I don't know if anyone's got Yosemite on a standard display, the Apple site. So Apple Yosemite looks amazing on a retina display. Look at it on a standard Apple display screen and it's, it's like Windows. It's very peculiar. Squinting does not make an enjoyable reading experience. So we have some rules for this. We want to try to make our text content easy to read. Ensure we use sensible font sizes. I mean, it's different. It depends on the X height of the font, um, the font sizes we can use. But as a general rule, probably not much smaller than 16 pixels. Don't prevent the user from resizing the fonts themselves in the browser. I think you have to try pretty hard to do this nowadays. But just if people zoom, let people zoom. Don't. Hopefully your site doesn't completely fall to bits when people zoom in. If you're doing responsive design, that tends to be great. It works really well. Too big text. That's quite trendy at the moment. And the thing is, it's, it, it can be a really lovely effect. But the problem is when you've got quite a big screen and you're sitting fairly close to it, if you do have text spanning the whole width of the screen, no matter what the line length is, so this is actually following that fairly standard uh, 10 to 12 words is something that people tend to bandy about quite a lot. But it's still, if I'm looking at this on my big screen at home, I end up reading like this. And that's not a comfortable reading experience either. We'll come back to this one, but it's a great thing. Click here. Where it goes, nobody knows. App design has a problem with this too. This is uh, the Apple weather app. And I don't know if you could work out what the numbers actually mean, because there's nothing that tells you what these numbers mean. Uh, at the top, now, 14, 12, 13, 13, 13, 14, uh, what? It, it's really hard to understand. I think once you, I, I could just about work out that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the darker number suggests that maybe that's at night. I'm, 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 not, I'm still not entirely sure what it means. I end up using the Yahoo app instead. What is it supposed to mean? I think that good copy is a huge part of accessibility. You need to keep your text simple and your meaning as clear as possible. Accessibility starts way before we start throwing things on a page. Color, and this is a huge one. And this site, which is generally, I think, quite a lovely design, but the problem with the color and the contrast between the color is it makes it very difficult to read things like the navigation. If you have a different kind of screen, if your screen is one of those kind of ones that have that odd blue tint to it, that's going to make it very tricky to read. And this is a, a low contrast, small text, double whammy. Really hard to read. Your screen isn't the same as everybody else's screen. As people that work in the industry, we tend to have the best equipment. We tend to have the shiny, high DPI, fancy screens. 
We don't have the, the weird big CRT blue tinted screens and things like that. We don't have the tiny pokey mobile screens, the ones that render really badly. So we have to try to bear in mind that other people have different things. We can use color contrast tools to ensure that our text is high enough contrast. If we're not sure, there are tools to help, us help back us up, and I'll introduce you to some of those a bit later. But we also need to be aware of really high contrast as well. So some of these tools will say, yeah, that's great. You're, you're using white text on a black background. That is great accessibility. It's not really, though, is it? I don't know if you've ever tried to read white text on a black background, but it kind of dances around in front of your eyes. It's a particular problem for people with dyslexia, actually. Content hierarchy. So sometimes we end up with text like this. Often if you've used a CSS reset, text looks a bit like this on a web page. It's all exactly the same. You can't distinguish between where there's headings, where there's paragraphs. That's great if you think that someone is going to sit there and study your web pages. Someone is going to make sure they read every element of the text. Of course, we don't read like that. We skip from headings to find what's relevant to us, what we're looking for, and move on. So something like this, just trying to make it very clear what's important, what's an action, uh, where to find the information that you're looking for. However, randomly enlarging and coloring text does not make it into a hierarchy. You do have to do a bit of HTML for that to really make it work for screen readers. We want to use semantic headings, lists, and other HTML elements. Um, make the content structure clear and consistent. And so try to use labels, lists, uh, links, buttons when it's actually doing something, links when it's going to another page, or the native controls if you're looking at um, tying things into apps as well. Links. Sometimes the links are the same color and style as the rest of the text, and you only find out it's a link when you hover over it. Finding interactive elements on a page should not be some kind of sick game. N no one wants to... No, no, it's like when you're a child and you read by putting your finger underneath the word and following it along. We don't want to have to do that with the mouse as well. It's really tricky. So we need to make buttons and interactive elements easily distinguishable from the non-interactive elements. And we need to make links easy to recognize by using an underline. That's quite controversial. Some people will prefer to use bold text. I know that Google dropped the underlines a while ago. I think it works in some scenarios. But I quite like to use emphasis quite a lot in my copy. And I don't want to confuse emphasis for links. And so we have to really weigh that up. Back to our click here's. This is a, a real problem with links. If you use a screen reader, you have an option of skipping through all the links on the page. I'm not sure how valuable you'd find it if you're suddenly ending up listening to click here, click here, click here, click here. Nobody knows where they're going. Your links need to have some kind of context to them. Uh, this is a website, Pets at Home. Select a brand or click here to view all brands. Why not? You could just ditch the whole click here bit there and just have a link to view all brands. That would make a lot more sense. It's easier for everyone to understand. But why should I click there? You need to explain it. So we need to use link text that makes sense out of context. But we also need to remember that not all of our users are clicking. I mean, some people might be navigating via a keyboard, but nowadays it's so much more common for people to use in touch screens. So what do you say? Do you say, click or tap here? Uh, click, tap, or hit enter here? It becomes very confusing. 
alternative text. So uh, th if there's two things you do to make a website accessible, use web standards, so semantic HTML, and use alternative text on your images. So this is an example of the wonderful W3 schools who are tainting our Google searches for useful HTML and CSS for a very long time. And they do, they do some worse things as well. So here you can see they have little examples of which browsers su support this particular type of code. And when you hover over it, it tells you the browser name. The problem is it doesn't actually distinguish between whether it's a supported or an unsupported browser. So if you were reading this as a screen reader and you were going, or images didn't load, and you were going through this, um, you might go, oh, okay. So I hover over it, and internet it's, it just doesn't say Internet Explorer, it says Internet Explorer, Firefox. In fact, it doesn't distinguish between what those icons mean anyway. So I mean, those of us looking at it um, visually who can load the images, we might go, oh, okay, I can kind of make a reasonable guess that they're the supported browsers. But anyone else, they just see Internet Explorer, Firefox, Chrome. Uh, I think that's Internet Explorer again. I can't see it so plainly. And Opera. So we just we don't know which are and aren't supported. And things like damn you autocorrect. Funny text-based jokes, usually. We could really involve everyone in those. But they don't bother using alt text um, so that people can understand. You could use the long description attribute in order to link to a longer amount of text as well. Um, but what they do is, if you hover over, what you end up with is funny autocorrect text, baby crazy. That's not a description of the image. That doesn't tell you what's happening in the image. That doesn't help you get the joke. That's SEO. And that's what they're using that for. I think that unhelpful alt text has its place on XKCD. I don't know if you've seen it, but you always, they always have that extra little joke if you hover over and you read the alt text. It's, okay, it's, it's maybe not terribly accessible that no one get on the joke, but still it's a bit funny. It's provide text alternatives for images that help users understand the context of those images. And it all becomes more complicated when we come to media. First of all, I do not want to listen to a podcast or watch a video. I just want text. I'm one of those people. You can give me all the rich media in the world, but I way prefer reading things. And I think that a lot of people, they don't have that choice. It's not just that they're fussy. They just don't have that choice. It can be very expensive to provide text transcripts and subtitles and things like that. Transcripts are much easier. And really, there are pieces of software that you can use to do the, the most of the grunt work nowadays. You don't need to hire someone expensive to do it for you. But it's so worthwhile, because all of that text that's trapped in a video or audio will then become searchable as well. So you're providing even more valuable content on your site. So you need to provide text transcripts for audio and provide subtitles for video. You're including a huge amount more people in that way, and just people that prefer to enjoy information that way. My brother doesn't read very well, and he listens to endless amounts of podcasts and audiobooks. He is far more well-read than me, but he wouldn't be able to do that if people didn't provide their content in that way. JavaScript. This isn't going to be about JavaScript, but it's about JavaScript. If there's a loading screen, there better be something worth waiting for behind it. This is something designers have control over. Don't make me wait for your adverts 
to load before I can read your content. This is a door slam in that you, you go to a website and it's like they're slamming the door in their fa your face and telling you to go away. You wouldn't want to you want to read an advert before you read the content. That just makes me go away straight away. And this is a, a great one we get. When people load their social buttons in the wrong place, I have to wait for the content of a page to load just so I can see how many likes they have on Facebook first. It's infuriating. We need to use JavaScript with care and load it in a sensible place. And if your website or app needs JavaScript, you need to use uh, ARIA to guide assistive technologies. If you do a search for ARIA, you'll find so loads of information about it. Navigation and wayfinding. Back to that wonderful previous example of the loading page. It actually has some text above it. I'll just squint at here. Click and hold your mouse down anywhere on the site to access quick product navigation. If your navigation needs an explanation, it's probably not good enough. This is a lovely site that I found, great interactive design. Problem is, I didn't actually realize that the yellow wasn't just an artistic style, it's actually the navigation. You have to click on the yellow things to get about. The days of flash are over. You need to stop punishing me with that artsy stuff. Very much what Val was talking about. We don't want to just use CSS now to replace all the junk we did with flash. We ought to provide consistent ways to help users navigate and find content and determine where they are. Forms are very problematic and really hard to get right. I don't know if you've had this situation before where you've filled out a form and you just end up with, with some red arrows or something. And you don't know what's wrong with what you've done, you just know something's wrong and you've got to hammer through and guess um, or try and write your name in a million different ways without uppercase all uppercase to see if you can get it right, no spaces. This was someone else's uh, error that they found. This is on the, uh, uh, the HMRC, the government taxpaying website. All of these errors say, error. Uh, this is in the wrong format. Your first school name, the first school you have entered is in the wrong format, please check. The last school you have entered is in the wrong format, please check. The memorable name you have entered is in the wrong format, please check. The developers are in the wrong format. That's the problem. The developers are too lazy and they're putting their job onto the user. The developers need to just write something that can work out which format it needs to be and put it into the correct format. You shouldn't be putting that onto the user. You shouldn't be making the user guess what and where the error is. Don't make me guess what the error is. Animations. So this is Val, Val's topic. She tells you all the wonderful things you can do. I tell you all the horrible things you shouldn't do. Happy Cog website. Uh, this is their Happy Cog Way site. And they're a brilliant company that does wonderful things. <coughs> Excuse me. But they did this really funky background thing, which is quite pretty and artistic. But once I get it going, if you're trying to read the text while this is going on in the background, it's really hard to use. I don't know if you've seen it, it's very trendy at the moment to have a video, big full screen video behind your text on your homepage. Try and read the text on the homepage while there's all sorts of things going on in the background. If you're working on that site, it's really easy for you because you know what it says. But for anyone else that's new to the site, it's really difficult to use. You need to wait for me. You need to give users enough time to read and use the content. 
and try not to distract them from their goals with unstoppable animations. So now I've got a ton of resources. So every different platform tends to have very good accessibility um, things that tell you about the accessibility on their particular platforms. So this is the Apple iOS thing. <coughs> and this is um, the Ali project, which is a really great website started uh, um, by the guys off the Shop Talk show. And it was actually prompted by a question that I sent in, so I was quite pleased by that. Um, but it has loads of lists and checklists and things like that to help you understand different things you need to do on your different projects. Lots of links to other sites. WebAx is a fantastic blog and a podcast about accessibility. Really great way of understanding these. Makes it really not boring as well. And WebAIM, they have loads of really lovely, well-written stuff that's really simple and straightforward. One of my favourite things from WebAIM is they have this fantastic tool called Wave. And uh, here I, what you do is you just put in the URL for a site. And what it does, I'm going to do the Roman baths here in Bath. And it gives you a list down the side of things that could be wrong, could be right, things that are good and bad about the site from an accessibility point of view. It's a basic tool. And it evaluates basically against the WCAG guidelines. Um, but it, re it can really help you pick up on simple things. So here you can see there's three linked images. <coughs> oh, sorry. <coughs> Frog in my throat. And, uh, so there's three linked images missing alternative text. That's a really easy thing to rectify. And uh, then you can see there's one use of redundant alternative text. So that tends to be when you put a title on a link that already has text in it. Uh, one redundant link. Um, but then there's 29 features. There's three uses of alternative text. So they have actually put some effort into making it accessible. Uh, this is uh, Leah Baru did a really great contrast ratio calculator. So this is the tool when I was saying about working out the colors of the foreground and background text against each other. What's great is it also works with transparency as well. So you can put in the uh, background color and the foreground color, and the button in the middle will tell you uh, how accessible it is, and it will um, it'll be green if it's good, and red if it's bad, and orange if it's ugh. So try and get a green. And then there's this color oracle, which is brilliant because it's, it's free, and it's available on Mac, Linux, and Windows. And they actually started using Color Oracles for designing maps because they wanted to help people with color blindness read maps. And it's very important that you know, if your map's not usable by a huge amount of the population. So what you do is you start the app up and you just it, it will just lay over any of the things that are on your screen. So you can use it for testing apps or websites or anything like that. So here we've got my own site. Um, this is, if you are viewing my site with uh, Geotronopia, which is a common green deficiency, which affects about 5% of all men. So you can see, it doesn't, it's, my site's, this page is purple, so it doesn't really affect it that much. Then we go to Protonopia, slightly more rare, affects about 2.5% of all men. But still, it's, it's not that dramatically different. Um, I think... What's most noticeable, I don't know if you can see it easily, is actually the buttons in the top corner, the traffic light, um, maximize, minimize buttons. They look very, very similar in, in, with this viewing. 
But then we go Tritonopia, and suddenly it's all gone a bit wacky, almost like an inverted colour system. This is very rare, but still, 0.5% of all men may well be, if you're working on a large site, like the gov.uk site, a site where a huge amount of the population is likely to visit, that's a lot of visitors are likely to have that colour blindness. So when I've done talks like this, I get a lot of people saying to me, I need proof that accessible websites aren't just ugly, or you're restricting my design in some way because you're putting so many constraints on. It's going to be really hard for me to be creative. So as an example of wonderful websites that are also accessible, I decided to run a few of the speaker sites through the wave checker. So first of all, we have Stephen's site. And uh, it's, it's a lovely site. It's a fun design. And I was quite chuffed because when I went on, I saw that uh, the blog post was about, uh, was off one of the blog posts that I wrote in the summer. So that was a nice little treat. So I ran Stephen's site through the wave checker. And it only has two errors. So that's really good, actually. And the two errors are just, there's a missing form label, which is actually at the bottom of the page. You can't see it here. It's on a drop-down box, and I think that's a JavaScript thing. Um, and there's also one empty heading, which, as you can see, the red marker there, the H question mark um, underneath. And I think that's actually a WordPress, a common thing to WordPress, where you haven't entered a site description, or you've just taken the site description out. But WordPress still puts the H2 in there with the ready for the site description. So that is a... And also, I, I forgot to point out all the wonderful things about it. So there are... Four features, alternative text, form labels, a skip link with a skip link target. So loads of good stuff in there as well. So top marks to Stephen. Uh, next, I went to Val's website. And it's a very beautiful website as well. And when you run Val's site through, just one error. So she's running even more. That's just the document language missing, um, which I'm not sure if that's actually really necessary nowadays anyway. Uh, and we have... Um, features and structural elements and other thing accessibility likes uh, lots of nice nicely labeled headings as well so that's a good one and then i decided to run the design day website through the tool so it's a beautiful really lovely website i love the color changing i love the typography it's it's very classy no errors i i think that deserves a round of applause really we have here, we have uh, a feature, we have a linked image with alternative text. We have six structural elements, headings, unordered lists, and also HTML5 and ARIA. So it's as good as you get. So if you want a, a, an example, look at the, the markup of this site and see how it's done. So I think it's the point where I should uh, eat my own dog food to some degree and show you stuff that I've been working on. and. Uh, how I've tried to make that accessible. So this was a recent version that we had of our indie homepage. And so I ran that through the checker and I was quite pleased, but we have one alert. And the alert says there's a no script element used. And what it says to me here is if I click it, it says, please make sure that you're not using the no script element to communicate things to screen readers because not all screen readers read it. So that's quite a useful thing that the Wave tool provides is it's just those little tips and tricks and things you... Why would you know that anyway? It's very unlikely that you'd know that anyway. So and it helps tell you these kinds of things. And I want to show you something I've had difficulty with recently. So this, we've just launched our crowdfunding. And as part of that, we have a barometer on our page. One of those classic things that shows how far we've got so far. 
And it started, so we've got uh, the zero and the 100, and, and we've got some information underneath. Uh, the, the zero and the 100,000, they, it might be very clear to you when you're looking at this, what that means. You can see where it begins, you can see where the middle point is, and you can see where the end is. Um, and, and you can work out what it all means. But if someone's not actually looking at that visual representation, how, how are they supposed to understand what it means? How does it read it? So I used the built-in screen reader in OSX, which is called VoiceOver, uh, to, to, to actually read it out and see what it sounded like. Oh, okay, first of all, that, so yeah, so someone could get stuck on it. They could, they could just end up with reading that bit. And we've got some information below that shows the percentages and the, 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 that cut. So it provides some of the information. It, it provides the information about where the red bar goes to and it it, how much time's left and things like that. But we're still, people, if they just read that and they didn't, th and they just read the text, they wouldn't know what amount, um, we've, what percentage we've got to so far they wouldn't know the meaning of the zero or the hundred thousand. So hi yeah, here is the uh, the bit with the screen reader. Come on, play to me. Okay, well, I'll pretend to be a screen reader. This is what the screen reader says. You can see from the uh, the about bit. First of all, it's saying the about link is highlighted, so it says about link. It says it in that really strange voice. Then it goes, be the hope. Zero dollars, hundred thousand dollars, fifty-one percent funded. So from there, it's just skip from one thing to the other thing, and you have no idea what that zero dollars means, no idea what the hundred thousand dollars means. So I was like, well, that's not very informative. Also, if the page just rendered without any of the CSS, that wouldn't tell anyone anything either. And so I had to find a way of improving it. So what I did was I ended up putting in the text that says we started with zero dollars. We're looking to raise a hundred thousand dollars. And so I put that in there, but then I used some CSS to hide the text, um, but make it still visible to the screen readers. That's quite a tricky thing to do at the like wangle at the moment. And if you want to talk about the CSS for that, we can talk about it later. Um, but what that did result in so I've got that text in there. I've got that explanation in there. Now the screen reader says, when I read it, when it goes, ah, th this is the video at least. It says about, it says be the hope. It says zero, we started with zero dollars and we're looking to raise a hundred thousand dollars. The text isn't visible to everything else, but it is visible to the screen reader, so it will make sense of it. And if I turn the CSS off, it's there and it makes sense. We need to consider accessibility at every point of planning. It is the functionality, it's the content hierarchy, it's the copy, it's the visual design, it's the code, it's everything. And I like to think of accessibility in terms of thinking about it as default. Of course, proper testing is very important and tailoring a site to a specific disability will need a lot of research and a lot of testing. But the basic considerations, the basic things that I've talked about today are very straightforward. And they're just constraints like any other design decision. They're just things we have to work around. In the same way we have to work around viewport sizes, in the same way we have to work around the fonts that are available to us. I think that accessibility is very easy to consider once you start caring about it. 
Once those things are in your head already, it's much easier to consider them in the future. Thank you. Hi, thank you. Um, since uh, HTML was mainly meant from the ground up for textual documents that go from top to bottom, um, a lot of problems occur when you have want to have a design where uh, the main elements are on the right side, whereas the content comes at the left side. And for screen readers, this can be a problem with backwards compatibility for browsers and such. Any, any comments on, on that situation, how you can create a design where main elements are on the right, whereas it should appear at the top of the, the document? Well, I think the most important thing is that the document, the HTML the and the, uh, the document order is structured as it should read without anything applied to it, without any CSS, without any images. It should make sense without anything. So once you get that right. The thing is that it used to be really hard with positioning and things like that, working out floats and absolute positioning and things like that to get things in those crazy orders. But now we have things like Flexbox and we're starting to look at things like CSS grids, it's so much easier to then just take that content and throw it all over the place. And I mean, whilst you still would cut, it's kind of good to have it in roughly a readable order that makes sense structurally. I think now, as long as the HTML is, is still structured in a way that's easy to read, you can use CSS and JavaScript and all sorts to move things around and make, and make it completely different and be more creative with it. Thanks for a great talk. Um, I looked at the indie site a couple of days ago, yeah. wondering if I should donate. Um, and I used my favorite accessibility tool, Links. Yeah. So How does it fare? Because I haven't tested it on Links. Uh, well, basically, the first thing it says, and I wanted your reaction on it, is okay, cool. this site only supports modern browsers. Oh, Please right, yeah. visit browserhappycom.com to upgrade your browser. What's wrong with my Links browser? It's the latest version. No. Valid, I'm yeah. running head. Yeah. This is, this is I, I, hate, I hate this not being recorded, is it? So uh, I can't say. This is a fight I have with a developer on a regular basis. <laughs> about so um, the problem is that we have, uh, it won't do that on any other page. We have um, Stripe, the payment platform. Why they cannot do a version that works without JavaScript, I don't know. Surely it's just a form. Uh, they should have a basic version that works. But uh, that's the problem. And so really, we need to be able to tell people about the JavaScript thing. So actually, this morning, I deployed something that has that makes it work much nicer and gives a proper alert rather than a upgrade your browser, browse happy thing. Yeah. That Thank you for shaming me. I deserve <laughs> it. It's a tough problem. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah, WCAG, yeah. Okay. I think the thing is that these are guidelines. Uh, I mean, ARIA is much more of a, um, 
it, it's more like looking at something like HTML. You have specific, it's a specific tool that you can use to improve the accessibility. Whereas um, the, the guidelines, I'm quite wary of guidelines. I think they're very useful for making you aware of the potential problems and telling you in basic terms how you can help solve them. The problem is that when you go to do these checklists and things like that, you're not thinking about users. And often the decisions you make to help tick the box on one uh, checklist item will affect, will cause problems further down the line. And you're just thinking about, oh, well, if I tick all these boxes, I'm legally compliant and that's fine. And you're not really thinking about the users within it. So I try to avoid talking too much about the guidelines because I think whilst they're a legal requirement, they are often more harmful than they are good. I think that they're very good for learning. Um, and so I think in theory, uh, WCAG and ARIA should work together. I don't think that they provide uh, conflicting information. The problem is that WCAG stuff is quite out of date and doesn't really refer to many apps and things like that, whereas ARIA is much more useful now and we're, look we're starting to look at much richer applications rather than just document-based stuff, which is what WCAG was really designed for. Cool. Uh, if anyone wants to talk to me afterwards as well, I'll be kicking around. It's flashing, so. <laughs>